1: With the fourth pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Sauce Gardner. Yes! Defensive
0: back. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Let's go. Let's
1: All right. go. What's I'm talking about?
0: Let's go. Let's go. With the tenth pick
1: in the 2022 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Garrett Wilson.
0: Yes!
1: Oh let's go Jets oh. oh we turned it up baby Let's go baby we it up we Jermaine go. Johnson baby Let's go, go. with the 26th pick in the 2022 NFL draft the New York Jets select Jermaine Johnson yes! There it is
0: There it is All baby There right. it is nice. There it is baby
1: Let's go! Let's
0: go! Wow! Oh. And welcome back to an episode of the Cooler Jets Podcast, where it was Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Well, as you can hear from our reaction today, went pretty well. Michael, day one of the NFL Draft in the books. How you feeling?
1: I'm feeling really good. I mean, I don't think anyone could have foreseen this first round going as well as it did to be able to knock out three needs, get back into the first round and n- really not pay that high of a price to get back in. Uh, th- this was an amazing first round in, in a lot of different ways, which we'll get into.
0: Yeah. I mean, you don't want to be hyperbolic and it's like, it's always tough right, to, to get right. out draft grades before these guys have even stepped on the field. But as we said last year, you have to grade the process and the fact that the jets walked out and these are their words with three of their top eight guys, uh, I don't really think today could have gone much better. I mean, we were hoping that Aiden Hutchinson would fall. I think you and I had pretty much talked into It's like, uh, it's, yeah, it sounds like Ike Ekwanu is going to be their guy. I mean, Joe Douglas has talked about building through the trenches. Same with Robert Sala. Obviously, I- I Kwan, who's, was up there in terms of one of the better players in the draft. And you and I both love sauce Gardner, but in the back of my head, I was like, well, they keep saying that they want to build through the trenches. I don't know if they would take a corner at number four, especially considering last year, they, they just went in with a bunch of day three picks. So you knew that if they were going to take a corner, it had to be a special player. And when you watch sauce Gardner, it's very evident that he's a special player.
1: Yeah. And I think that was the biggest Because I definitely debated between both of those guys. Who would they take if they're both on the board? Would it be Aquanu? Would it be Gardner? And I definitely flip-flopped quite a bit. I ended up going with Aquanu as my final prediction. But there were moments where I did That was my fault. Yeah, it was was definitely you pushing me over that ledge. But there were moments where I leaned towards Gardner. And my kind of thought process was, I think he'd be the best player available. Um, And you know, if they are truly going BPA, then you know, take the BPA. Don't necessarily, you know, we're a trench first team. Let's always take the trench player, take the best player and you do need quarter, a cornerback help. So if he's the best player available, go with him. I think he's the best athletic testing, the best uh, production of any player. Not only they could take at that spot, but potentially in the whole draft, I definitely, I think he was my number two guy behind Hutchinson among all the uh, prospects in this draft. So those are the reasons that I was leaning towards him. But then when you look at philosophically, it was, you know, O line, you know, trenches first. They took O-line first round, the last two drafts. there's there a lot of smoke around Becton developing the past few weeks that potentially they'd move on from him. So that was pushing me towards Aquanu. So that's what I was prepared for and expecting. And I would have been okay with it because I love the player, even though it would create you know a lot of drama and uncertainty. So uh, I was pleasantly surprised with Gardner for, and the main reason for that is just because of what I was just explaining. I think it's good that they're not married to these philosophies. You know, they have their core philosophies, which are great, you know, toughness, trench first, offensive, defensive lines. It's good to have that identity, but it doesn't mean that you should bypass talent to fulfill that. You know, I think Gardner is clearly the best player available there in my opinion, in a lot of people's opinions, and clearly theirs as well. So I think it's good that they're willing to do different things and not just stick with that one philosophy when that's what fits the team best in terms of accumulating talent. So uh, I think that's what's great, to see that sort of malleability in terms of team-building strategies. We know what they are at their core, and that's O-line, D-line, pass rush, run blocking, run game. That's their identity, but doesn't mean you have to go out and draft O-line first round every single year. So it was good to see that sort of change of pace in terms of team building strategy.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously they have their mission statement of wanting to build through the trenches, but I don't think they necessarily compromise their principles by taking sauce because I even said this to you this week. I mean, out of all these guys, when you listen to them and when you watch them, who's a dog, who's an alpha, who do you, who does it sound like when Joe Douglas says hates to lose more than they love to win, uh, focus purely on the game. That's his, you know, there's soul, uh, a priority. And so that when they get potentially get that second contract, you know, they're always going to come back to the game. And there were some concerns with, you know, a guy like Kayvon Thibodeau who we really wanted to take, but the more I listened to him, the more you can see maybe why teams would have those concerns. It's nothing against him. It's just the philosophy that Joe Douglas and Robert Sala have tried to put in places is, is they want guys whose number one priority is football, that this is all they care about. And that didn't seem to be the case with Kayvon Thibodeau who had, who came out with a Snickers pocket square uh, on draft night, you know, um, but with Sauce Gardner, you know, we I said that to you last week. It's like, you know, I would maybe take Sauce Gardner, but I just don't see Joe Douglas taking a corner at four. I am so glad to be wrong. You and I, we as you know, are we have the whole you know draft recorded, but you and I were both saying, you know, we'd be the most excited for Sauce, but we we're prepared for Equanu. Uh, when that name was announced, man, I mean, that was uh, that was some special stuff, and yeah, like you said, I mean, they have their mission statement, but I, I like that Joe Douglas has has shown that he, he's not necessarily you know completely rigid. He's, he's able to, to be malleable, like you said, and he can be aggressive. I mean, there are a lot of GMs that have their philosophies and they're more conservative GMs who are always trading back, who are never going after the high p- price for agents. You know, And I think that was maybe the fear with Douglas after 2020 um was it's like okay so this is going to be a guy who's never going to go out and pay big money in for agents he's you know going to be looking to trade back he's just not an aggressive GM and I think you've seen the last two G- uh, two years that he actually is a very aggressive GM but he's a smart GM you know he, he spent a lot of money the last two off seasons but I don't think he's given out any ridiculous contracts to aging overpriced veterans and I think in the draft you've seen him trade up you know for guys that he loves and um As I said, these guys haven't hit the field. Who knows how it'll turn out? But if you're great in the process, it's hard not to love what they did. And we haven't even talked about their other two first-round picks. Um, But when when it comes to Sauce Gardner, I mean, uh, like you said, I I think he was the best player available. He has a super high ceiling. I don't see him being bad. um, But I also see him having an incredibly high ceiling to be one of – I was going to say, if not, you know what, one of, if not the best corner in the league. And that's not hyperbole. I'm not saying he will be, but he has that type of ceiling. He has that type of potential. I mean, you're talking about a guy, not just his measurables or his film or his analytics. You're talking about a guy who didn't allow a, a single touchdown his entire college career. He's special, man. And, and like you said, yeah, they, they didn't just draft for need. You know, obviously, corner's a need, but they drafted the best player on their board. They weren't married, to, we need to take a trench player. We need to use this asset, you know, in the trenches. They took the best player available. And, by the way, corner is a premium position. Even if right. it doesn't necessarily have to be in the scheme, the Jets are going to be a hell of a lot better with the type of corner yeah. play that they're going to have next year. Pairing Sauce Gardner with DJ Reed, having Whitehead back there at safety, I mean – they're going to be able to be more flexible with their defensive schemes. They can play more man coverage. But even when they're just running solid base zone coverage, you know, rush four, you know, the most vanilla version of solid scheme, having amazing cornerback play is going to make it better. And, and hearing Richard Sherman talk about uh, Sauce Gardner and his fit in this system made me even more uh, optimistic. I'm just, uh, you and I mean, you could hear from a reaction. We were very excited yeah. that Sauce Gardner uh, was the pick at four.
1: Um... Yeah, and, and I think, just to add a little bit more on Gardner, I think what you said about him having the potential to be the best corner in the league, I don't think it is hyperbole because I think at this position, really it's, that's a wide-open title. It, this position, there are a lot of great corners in the league, but no one's really established as that best corner in the league. Obviously, there are great candidates, but you know it, it's a revolving door. It's a position that fluctuates a lot and guys have short primes, the door is open for right. someone like Gardner who had such a dominant career to really come in and be that type of game-changing right. player at, at an important position.
0: And it does feel a little, I feel like I should say, it does feel a little ridiculous to be on draft night immediately after the Jets draft and being like, he's going to be the best corner in the league. That's not what we're but saying. We're yeah. not saying he will be. Right, right, right. right. He, he could, could, could. Exactly. And that's like very- 10%, public.
1: top 10% right. outcome.
0: <laughs> right. But I think that's important because especially in this class, which is a very deep class, there wasn't that many- you know, of those, those top tier, high quality players in this class, guys who would go top 10 last year. Sauce Gardner is one of those guys though. Sauce Gardner would have been uh, taken ahead of JC Horn last year. Sauce Gardner is, is one of only a few in this class. I'm trying to think. I mean, there are maybe a few others with the type of ceiling that he has um, that you can see that elite all pro potential, The the bulk of this draft class are very good players, but you just, you're missing that elite, you know, top end type of ceiling sauce garden, gives you that. Um, so, I, I mean, I'm absolutely blown away by, by that. And I just goes to show you, it's another example that not only do we know nothing, but the beat reporters know, not, I mean, nobody really knows what's happening in the draft and not just the draft, the, the draft, but Joe Douglas in, you know, specifically has done a great job of, of keeping a tight lid on things at Florin park because for years, that was not the case in New York. I mean, you were having got, look, Jamal Adams went on, I mean, I guess that was under Joe Douglas, so maybe I shouldn't say that, but there were players going anonymously uh, to media to trash Mark Sanchez and Rex Ryan. And I mean, th- there was a lot of smoke coming out of Florham Park for decades. And ever since Joe Douglas has come in, I'm not saying the Jets have been dominating on the field because they've been a laughingstock on the field, but off the field, he's, he's made incredibly smart decisions. And I have to say, I, I really, I think that's a good sign that he runs a tight ship you know, that, 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 we really had no idea what he yeah. was going to do until a few hours before the draft. You saw a few tweets, people saying, there's a lot of smoke about sauce Gardner. And when you listened to, to the call that they made to him, it really sounds like he was their guy, um, that, that there wasn't really a, a, any question about it. Yeah.
1: And yeah. um, in, in terms of like the positional value part of it, I, th- I think the thing with cornerback and this defense is people kind of exaggerate the lack of importance and look, I'm a big pass rush first kind of guy. I do believe in general that cornerback is it definitely takes a back seat to pass rush but and I think they got the both Michael that gap,
0: and they got both they did
1: do that they did do that we're going to talk about that but um but I think it's like it's not unimportant it's just slightly less important in this scheme than it might be in the average NFL
0: defense right. it's well, not it, like it doesn't matter and it just comes to your philosophy because and I'm not right. again again don't take this the wrong way but like you know, go to 2009 with Rex Ryan. The Jets didn't have an elite passer, so they had Calvin Pace and Brian Thomas. What they had was they had an elite corner, and they were able to man up receivers, and they were able to rush eight. And that's not Robert Sale's, uh, you know, uh, mindset or strategy. And Sauce Gardner won't be Darrell Revis, but if sauce Gardner is giving you elite cornerback play, it opens up a lot for your defense. It's not, it's not like they just took a running back at four. I mean, for most teams, cornerback is one of the free few premier positions. It's just on this team. And what we've been fed the last year, especially with, with the corners that they trotted out last year, it's that, Hey, you can get, you can survive with, with, with uh, lackluster cornerbacks. Uh, and, and the Niners did that in 2020, but guess what? They still brought in Richard Sherman. They still went to a Super Bowl with Richard Sherman at corner. Um, so cornerback matters. And, and I, uh, you know, I, I just love, uh, I love the player here.
1: Yeah, and, um, and I think like there isn't a team that can, there isn't a team that can't be beat by a cornerback getting burnt on a nine route or on a slant and missing a tackle. But every single team needs its corners to hold up and can lose if they get beaten. We saw it a lot in the latter half of last season with the Jets' young corners. So it's not even necessarily about you know making a million great plays and press coverage or anything. It's just do your job. Don't get burnt. Every single team needs that. And this is a guy who didn't give up a touchdown in three years. And I know it wasn't the greatest competition, but you know, he went into the college football playoff against Alabama. And I know it's one game, but held up really well and looked like he belonged out there and was the best, arguably the best player maybe on the field on either team, at least on the He looked side. look damn good
0: against Jamison Williams. I'll say that. Exactly. Damn so, good um, against Jamison Williams.
1: So, yeah, I think this is a situation where, you know, Do you prefer, like, if they're two exact same prospects, same exact talent level and everything, would you prefer an edge rusher? Probably. But when I think the talent with Gardner is, you know, clearly maybe a notch above the other options there, which it seems obvious that they believe that, then it's definitely not a big enough gap in positional value to to pass on that. So I'm really, uh, it's, it's promising to see that they went clearly with their best player available. Um, and and it's not like this position wasn't a need, but, uh, just to see them go with favorite prospect, we're not just going to force trenches because that's our philosophy. Um, I think it's a a promising, promising thing to see from them in terms of being open-minded.
0: Yeah. And look, we need to see it on the field, but, and I already going into this draft had a lot of faith and faith in Joe Douglas and Robert Sala, but especially after tonight, just seeing what he did with the board to walk away with three of their top eight. It's it's hard not to have a lot of trust with him. Again, we have to see him. You know, we have to see this team on the field. We have to see the Jets start turning this around and winning games. Um, being off season champions isn't enough. But hey, the draft is the most important part of the off season. And these last two drafts in particular were. And look, every draft's important, but these last two drafts in particular um, were some of the most important drafts of my lifetime watching this team um, to pull us out of this decade long nightmare um and so far so good you know i have to say i mean i we'll see we will see um but i really like what he's done uh w- w- with these two picks and again like you were saying with you know if you have an edge guy and a corner that were similar like kvon's a perfect example they took him over kvon kvon goes to the crosstown rivals that will be a storyline um for the next few years i think even if kvon had a similar mindset um to saw you know if there wasn't maybe the the same amount of concerns about okay where's kvon's head at what is he really um, You know, his football is football his number one priority, etc. Even if those if those things weren't uh, in competition, they pro- they might have taken Cave But even then, Sauce Gardner is still the the cleaner prospect on the field. I mean, Cave has some issues. He's obviously he was the number one guy coming out of high school, and he was very productive at Oregon. But Sauce Gardner has very little red flags. Uh, you know, that's not to say he, he's going to come in and dominate immediately. Or he's not going to get burned every once in a while. Um, you know, he needs to add some weight. There's some stuff to go with him, but Sauce Gardner is a very clean prospect. That's why it gives him the high floor. Um, and that's what's great with with him is he's not just a high floor. He's a as an incredibly high ceiling. All right, let's move on to number 10. And and obviously, Michael, there's a lot of smoke about a potential Debo trade. Two receivers did end up getting dealt on draft night, which is a little surprising. Um, maybe you would have liked to see when you see the compensation, the Jets would have been in on it on, on at least A.J. Brown, hell, even, even Hollywood Brown. But look, I you can't complain about too much this night. And and Garrett Wilson, uh, you know, we said it going into the draft that it really just depends. What do you want in a receiver? Uh, Garrett Wilson, when you looked at all the variables probably made the most sense from a schematic standpoint, you know, I thought that maybe Drake London could bring you that big bodied receiver that could go and get those jump balls for, for Zach Wilson, that you saw him, you know, thrive with at BYU, but hell you watch Garrett Wilson, he might be six feet, but the vertical on him and the catch radius on him is no joke. Um, And then obviously he's going to bring you the yards after the catch, which, you know, all the moves that the jets have made to surround Zach Wilson this off season, you know, specifically with the tight ends and Uzama and Conklin, there's been a heavy focus on creating yards after the catch. Um, So Zach Wilson doesn't have to do it all himself. And Garrett Wilson brings you that. I mean, he, he is a smooth route runner. He has to clean up some things, you know, he can, he can dance a little bit at the top of his routes. He's going to have to cut down on that. Um, But he's a separator. He's a good route runner. He's fast you know uh yards after the catch vertical catch radius I mean a lot of things come with Garrett Wilson and you have to be excited about his pairing with, with Elijah Moore and this is the first time since I've really been watching this team that they've put in premium assets into building this offense into building this receiver core I mean yeah in 2015 they had Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker two older free agents and that was fun for a year but you know the future could be very bright having Garrett Wilson line up next to Elijah Moore um you know, building with Zach Wilson and, and, and Michael Carter, you just have to, you, you can see the vision and whether or not it pans out, that's one thing. But um, taking Garrett Wilson was, uh, you know, again, our reaction to that was pretty excited. I thought they were going to maybe go with the edge player. Obviously they end up getting Jermaine Johnson a little bit later, but I'm glad that they, they decided, you know, because it, it must've been close. They, you know, when you hear about how they talk about Jermaine, it must've been close. And, and I'm glad that they went with surrounding the young quarterback uh, with talent. Uh, clearly, it worked out for them just as uh, far as Jermaine Johnson fell and then the, the running receivers that came shortly after. Um, but it was the mistake that they made with Darnold that they're not making with Zach Wilson. They're building around him. So, Michael, what was your initial reaction to Garrett Wilson? And then how did you feel, you know, about Drake London going at eight and some of the other receivers they passed on? Just your, your thoughts on him being the guy.
1: Yeah, well, I think when they came on the clock at 10 and Jermaine Johnson was still there, um, you and I were both expecting him. To be the pick, and we were going to be okay with it. I said all along before the draft, at ten, I was definitely okay with Johnson. I would would have been cool with that. I was just going to be skeptical of, you know, what are we doing at receiver? Where is the help coming for Zach Wilson? Because at that point, you know, you'd be leaving the first round of the draft still haven't have having not added a new receiver to the roster all off season. So I know you don't draft for need, but um, you know, there's definitely that doubt in my mind. So. Uh, I was prepared for Johnson would have been cool to pick, but the receiver is definitely the more exciting route. And personally, I definitely thought the talent was worthy of that. I know not everyone would have thought that receiver was best player available there. A lot of people thought Johnson was, um, but I definitely thought the receivers are worthy of that 10th pick. And, and like you said, it, it was less so a personal preference for me. London was my favorite receiver, but between him Wilson, Jameson Williams, and Olave. I thought all of them had a case for this pick, and it just came down to what skill set do the Jets want? And uh, clearly Wilson is the skill set they want the most. So once I heard the pick announced, I was definitely very excited to finally get that weapon for Zach Wilson Um, and just to know what are they looking for. And and Garrett Wilson, like some of the things you mentioned, I think, even though he's, he's only six foot, he's not that six, five big bodied frame, but I think he provides that jump ball ability, red zone threat that, uh, that you're hoping to get for that. We were hoping to get for Zach Wilson this off season with his ability to get up in the air, play above the rim, make acrobatic catches, adjust his body to the ball. Uh, his yak ability is great. So that makes him a scheme fit, obviously. So, um, uh, yeah, it was just exciting to finally get that weapon for Wilson. And I think personally, that's, th- the talent is worthy of that 10th pick. Um, it's definitely not a slam dunk 100% you know, shot to pan out. I think he could sharpen his route running a little bit in terms of there's some exaggerated movements, elongated break steps, things like that, which Joe blue had broke down really well and he'll in his film breakdown at Jets X factor. But um, uh, so yeah, there's some things for him to work on drops are a little bit high, uh, but the ceiling is very high at this player. So um, it was an exciting pick for sure. There was definitely a debate to be had, you know, is was he the bet the best player available or any receiver versus Johnson in that spot? Should they have gone with edge instead of forcing the receiver? That was the conversation at that point. Then obviously later on, those questions were answered in a very exciting way. Um, but at that point, um, it was a very fun pick that I was thrilled to see. And in, in terms of the veteran receiver trades, um, it was definitely interesting to see the A.J. Brown trade come up. Um, personally, I would have loved for the Jets to have done a trade like that. I thought the contract he got and the package he was traded for, I would have signed up for that immediately. Um, but you don't you don't know how those things go down. Did he want to play for the Jets? Maybe not, based on um, he liked that one tweet. Saying that he didn't want to play for the Jets, so maybe he just didn't want to be there. Out of
0: all the Twitter um, investigations that we did the last few months, that was the only one that actually ended up mattering. Yeah, that actually—it's so like funny. Tweet. One like tweet is like a out, legitimate out, of, piece out of hundreds of out of hundreds that we dm to each other that, that we're using thing. right now. Yeah, <laughs> as like a, a, a important part of this discussion.
1: It's hilarious. So uh, all that investigating paid off, I guess slightly. Um, but yeah, I. I would have loved to have done that, but I guess we don't really know how the negotiations went. Um, in terms of Debo, still, no one really knows how that went down. What was all or how to
0: play out or how it
1: could play out. So, um, uh, so I'm, I'm just excited with the, with the guys they got, obviously I was a huge supporter of trading for a veteran wide receiver. I prefer known commodities to unknown commodities, you know, which draft picks are, um, so I would have loved to have trade for one, but it, it's hard to speculate it without knowing exactly, you know, did the player want to play there, sign with that team, what was offered? Did they want to trade him in conference? All these things. Uh, so I'm just happy uh with the haul that they got, those two top ten picks.
0: Yeah, I look, I'm not gonna spend time complaining about the Jets not trading for a veteran because like you said, you don't really know what happened in those discussions and I'm extremely happy with how everything played out. And look, when it going back to Garrett Wilson, it just really depended. You know, what did the Jet? What were the Jets looking for? And yeah, you know, another thing to consider when it comes to AJ Brown is, you know, the scheme fit. And obviously, look, there is, there is, they run a similar scheme. But you know, when you look at San Francisco, they run with those smaller, speedier uh receivers who separate that's not necessarily AJ Brown like look that's not a, in my eyes it's not a reason not to do that trade but I'm just saying maybe that's another factor and I think it's a factor as to why Garrett Wilson was the pick over some other receivers I, I am really curious who they would have gone with if they had the choice between him and London I think they probably liked both of them uh you know but London was giving you give you size and yak but he had some speed issues he had some injury issues Wilson was going to give you uh Obviously, he was going to give you yak. He was going to probably give you more athleticism. I think he was the better scheme fit. You know, a guy like Jamison Williams also had injury issues, but he was going to give you elite speed. Uh, and then a guy like Chris Olave was going to give you elite route running. And so I thought he was a bit of a, you know, I liked him a lot, but he wasn't going to give you much after the catch. So if you blend all that together, it makes sense why Garrett Wilson was their guy. And for most people, he was the receiver number one. And Daniel Jeremiah, who going forward is the only guy I'm going to listen to when it comes right. to mm-hmm. Jets drafts hundred uh, percent. He had, I mean, he had sauce Gardner as his number two best player. Garrett Wilson as his number four best player and Jermaine Johnson's number nine, very similar to what Joe Douglas's board probably looks like. He compared Garrett Wilson to Stephon Diggs. I mean, to have him as his four best player uh, reading what he had to say about him, uh, that had me really hyped up. And uh, before we move on to Jermaine Johnson, I think the only concern and I raised this beforehand uh, was how does he match up with Elijah Moore? Cause there's three things to consider. And we talked about this a lot. When you're adding a receiver, it's, you know, how does he he fit with your quarterback? The only reason that this, the edge that Drake London had was the size because Zach Wilson's a smaller quarterback, you know, he has smaller weapons. I think he would benefit from a big receiver, clearly with Wilson's athleticism and his jump ball ability, that might not be an issue, but how does he be, uh, mesh with the quarterback? How does he mesh with the scheme? And how does he mesh with the other receivers that you have clearly a scheme fit? Uh, I think with the quarterback, because of his catch radius and, and his ability to go up and, and look, they were comparing it to Lynn Swan, which I think was a bit ridiculous, but that ability to jump, it seems like he was, he could just hang in the air for like three seconds at a time. Um, that's, that's a special ability that Garrett Wilson has. And I think that that makes him a good fit with Zach Wilson. The only question I kind of had was, what does he bring you that's different than Elijah Moore? Clearly there is something, Michael, what do you think that is?
1: Yeah, I think I think you really laid it out well The his ability in the air is interesting because you look at his vertical jump, um, you know, what he tested in the combine. It's, it's not amazing. I think it was, I'm going to, I'm going to look it up right now. So we have the accurate information, but um, it was, but he didn't have, he didn't have the best number, but he's somehow able to hang in the air pretty well. And it is kind of an ability that you see sometimes to where, you know, the leaping doesn't necessarily correlate with what you see when they're playing. Some guys just have that ability to hang, you know, like bring yeah. up their legs, stay in the air and like track the ball really well, get their hands to it. He makes a lot of catches where he's not just high pointing, high pointing the ball, but you know, where he gets up in the air and he'll like catch it behind his right. head or near his chest yeah his like, it's not
0: just his, his athleticism or his vertical it's his catch radius
1: right it's just the, uh, he, the pure he, skill and the catch rate
0: right he had some concentration drops but he made some incredible catches you know a guy who had that type of ability i'm not comparing it to him but like odell beckham jr had that ability to just jump and just right. hang in the air and make these crazy catches you know obviously the famous one but i think that's a similar type of ability that you're hoping garrett wilson can bring uh, and i think that's also you know we saw zach wilson thrive with that bigger body Receiver at BYU BYU, being able to put it top shelf for Dax Millen and him to go up and get it. I think it'll take some time for him to get that with Garrett Wilson because he's a smaller receiver. He's going to have to get that timing of okay, even though this guy looks covered, he has the vertical. I can still put it top shelf for him. It'll take some time to time that out. Um, But when they get that going, I think Garrett Wilson really can be that that top shelf guy for him. And not to mention they have two big-bodied receivers in Tyler Conklin and C.J. Uzama who can hopefully bring some size, um, you know, for Zach Wilson. And I'm going to deliver. I got the vertical jump. 36 I was was stalling. I was 36 inches. Okay, there we go.
1: 57th percentile for wide receivers. So, you know, slightly above average. But when you watch him, it's like he's making all these acrobatic catches. And I think timing is a big part of it, too, because it's great if you could jump high, but you have to have a good feel for when do I need to get up to where I can catch this ball at its apex? You know, that's just a feel thing that you don't always have, no matter how high you can jump. Um, So he makes use of that really well. And it shows up in his contested catch numbers. He caught over 60% of his contested passes last year, uh, which is right up there with Drake London, among the best in the nation and among players in this class. So um, he's much better in that area than in drops. His drop rate was about average for a college receiver, so he can improve there. Um, The contested catch is fantastic. You really see the hands there he he has good sized hands nine and seven eighths uh nine inches and seven eighths 82nd percentile for a receiver so really big hands relative uh to his size at just under six feet um and arm length too 32 inches 50th percentile for a receiver so average arm length when you're five eleven and three quarters is you know relative to his frame right really impressive yeah. so you combine there's that with six his, five
0: receivers in that same right you know, exactly same so
1: like you combine that with his timing um getting up to the ball his ability to con- contort in the air um there's a lot of potential to this player obviously like we said there are some things to sharpen there's a reason he was there at 10 and not going you know top four top five or whatever and drake london was taken before him um so he's not perfect like the route, route running can be sharpened uh, a little more concise Um, the drops, like I said, can come down, but, uh, a lot of potential, a lot of potential.
0: Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I, there's not much else to say about Garrett Wilson. I I think that the the one thing that I I should add is I, I watched, uh, two games about of his in the, in this, this draft process. One of them, I was watching for George Karlaftis and it was against Purdue. And I have to say that Garrett Wilson, I mean, that was one of his better games. He had like four touchdowns. He was just popping off the screen, and I think his yards after catch really did surprise me because he's not the biggest guy. I heard a yawn. I know it's I know it's one in the morning, Michael. Hang with. I court. hope I hope they didn't come through. But, uh, <laughs> oh, it, is, it, did. it did! It did. It's it's, it's one
1: seventeen me. in the
0: morning, but we're oh, we're,
1: we're, we're putting we're, in the have, work right we here. We have
0: at least another forty minutes in us because we got Jermaine Johnson to talk about, <laughs> and then we got day two targets. Um, but just to wrap it up, on Garrett Wilson, I think his his yards after the catch uh, was kind of surprising to me because, like you said, he's not you know he's fast, but he's not uh Tyree kill fast and then he's not big you know that was with Drake London a lot of his yards after catch was yards after contact you know guys are just falling off of him but when you talk about his natural feel for the game when it comes to his timing of of jump balls and stuff it translates to to how he runs after the catch I thought his vision and his 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 shiftiness jumped off the page to me um and I I just I'm really excited to see this player with Elijah Moore how they pair him up Um, But yeah, I mean, when they go 12 personnel and they have Wilson, Moore, Conklin, Uzama, that offensive line with Michael Carter in the backfield, you know, Zach Wilson's going to be running out of excuses. Um, So I'm excited to see Zach Wilson, you know, second year in the system with a lot more help, you know, booth the floor part two. Um, This offense is really coming together. And then lastly, you know, the thing that we thought maybe we sacrificed when it's like, all right, they went sauce at four, they they went and helped the quarterback at 10 all right, we're just going to hope for an address or to fall to 35, maybe Karlaftis falls, maybe it's Mafe or Ebiketti. Um, Jermaine Johnson. And you called it like a minute before. Yeah, like I had a tweet that was saying, okay, yes. well, he, if he hits 25, maybe they'll start making calls. I think you had a minute before you, I don't know exactly what you said, but it was essentially saying, eh, maybe they just trade up. Yeah, maybe. yeah. Like
1: literally one minute before the tweet dropped announcing the trade, I said, um, what did I say? Oh, so I, I noticed that they hadn't, started doing their press conference yet uh, which most teams do when they're done with their first round picks like last year they did it quickly after the avt trade uh, or the avt pick Um, but you know the picks kept rolling in they hadn't done their press conference yet and like maybe they're you know talking trade right now and they ended up doing it uh, one minute after i did so uh, I, i have a higher hit rate than some of the beat reporters
0: before we talk, before we talk about Jermaine Johnson, the player, yeah, <laughs> yeah much higher than a few certainty reporters. Uh, before we talk about Jermaine Johnson, the player, the trade up itself, what did you think about the value?
1: Yeah, it's, I think it's a good value. I haven't looked at the exact points yet. Um, usually the team trading down wins those that that's a standard, but um, you know, when you think about it, it's not, it's not that bad. Um, you know, they move from the top of the third to the bottom uh, so from 69 to 101, so you drop 32 picks in the third round. But other than that, they just gave up the low fifth rounder, and that's the price they're paying to go up and get a guy who a lot of people thought was a top 10, maybe top five pick, and on their board was a top eight player. So I think that is definitely a price worth paying, especially considering the positional need. Um I think it's absolutely worth it. it. It's a price to pay, you know, especially for a team with a lot of holes. So it's not free. It's something to consider. And they made a trade like this last year as well. So um, it's the second year in a row. They've Jonah kind of compromised that depth. Yeah, he's just <laughs> third round. is not his interest. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely worth a price that was worth paying. And, you know, when we were sitting there and I think most Jets fans were in agreement as we saw Johnson keep falling and falling. Uh, and Carl left us too. Um, we were like, uh, this is getting enticing here. Do you hop back in, try to snag one of these guys and they ended up doing it. So, uh, it was something I think we all wanted to see and, and they capitalized on it. So I'm, I'm
0: cool with the value. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. There was no overpay here, but like, yeah, it was maybe a slight overpay, but it wasn't a an egregious, uh, you know, completely, uh, absurd overpay I still think the Darnold trade allowed them to do this because if they didn't have that second second round pick maybe they wouldn't have been as comfortable but the fact that they're able to make this pick or make this trade uh and still have a top uh, like the top six pick uh or top five pick what am I saying top five pick in the second round and a pick in the third round um you know top that's six. just a top, top six pick. you know I was trying to do the math well it was 32 <laughs> to 38 but then it was 33 okay you know what I'm, I'm always bad with numbers um but it's just a credit to Joe Douglas, and and this is not by luck that the Jets have this. And again, we're giving him credit now. We'll see in a year. Um, but it, it's a credit to Joe Douglas that the Jets were in this position to do this. Uh, now, when it comes to the player, there are a lot of rumblings that the Jets could even consider Jermaine Johnson at four. There's one beat, uh, beat writer in particular who was spreading this. You were very against it, as was I, I think, in our, our draft grades prospect. I think we gave that like a D or something if they took him at four. But as you and I said, look, if they take him at 10, that's great value. I uh, had a super productive season for FSU last year. A lot of people had, had him as their best edge rusher. Sala even had Jermaine Johnson, as he said it in, a, in a, the post-draft press conference, the most pro-ready um, pass rusher in this year's class. Clearly a good scheme fit. I think he, he lines up well opposite Carl Lawson because of some of his strengths. But the fact that the Jets got him at 26, I mean, no, look, the, the one con you have there is like, well, why was everybody else passing on him? And that was maybe the one thing we didn't examine and think about enough when it came to Denzel Mims. It was a similar thing where he traded down, you know, obviously different, but they traded down and they still landed Mims and we were all excited. And it was like, Joe Douglas understands the board. And it was like, wait a second, why did Mims fall? That is a cause for concern. Why did Jermaine Johnson fall all the way to 26? But on the surface, a lot of really smart people love this player. Um, and maybe, you know, it just came down to it was a deep edge class. Other teams have different needs, etc., cetera, et cetera. Good players fall all the time. Um, but what do you think Jermaine Johnson brings to this team? And the fact that the Jets were able to address not only uh, secondary with Sauce Gardner, but they were able to go and get that pass rusher to pair up with him.
1: Yeah, well, look, to start, to start with the positives, I think there are some good floor traits here. I think you're getting good run defense for sure, I think. Um, and, and that was something important for this team. You know, they're very bad at stopping the run last year and you look at the guys they have in their D line, a lot of pass rush talent, a lot of explosion and athleticism and not that Johnson doesn't have that. Um, but you know, you look at Carl Lawson, John Franklin Myers, great pass rushers run defense, not entirely their thing, at least when JFM is that D tackle, but even Lawson on the edge, you know, fantastic pass rusher, only like an average run defender, but Jermaine Johnson can come in. And I think this is the type of player they needed uh, in their new edge rushers, a guy who can not only bring the pass rush, but can be a three down player who can trust to stop the run as well. Um, He brings that, you know, his ability to set the edge, use his length to keep guys off him, have that extension, plays the run really well. Um, So I think that is a good floor raiser. Um, And being at his advanced stage, which, I've been critical of, I mean, I make jokes with you all the time about his age, Um, but that is a good, you know, it, it helps your floor. I think guys don't go as high when they're older because you want potential and it does hurt a little bit, but uh, in terms of floor, being able to help right away, I think age is a plus in terms of that. Um, And then pass rushing, I think motor, you're definitely getting, you know, he didn't have, he got a lot of those sacks last year from, being able to chase plays down stick with plays which again is you know sort of a ceiling capper doesn't necessarily mean uh he'll be a mega star but it's important and uh you know low first round i think that's a a good thing to have and especially when he's playing with the guys he's going to be playing with there will be opportunities to clean things up and the athleticism gives him great potential the speed the explosion very high uh relative athletic score player 40 times great um and the pass rushing potential is there, but um, as Joe Blewett broke down really well in his film breakdown, um, there are a lot of technical things pass rushing-wise he could work on in terms of having a plan, um, just his leverage that he plays with uh, and things like that. And that's why his pass rush win rate and his advanced metrics weren't very good. Um, not He wasn't really even close to guys like Thibodeau and Hutchinson. Um, so there is a, a full, uh, there is a low pass rush floor, I think, but there's definitely a high ceiling as well with the athleticism and, and the flashes of greatness that he showed. So uh, ultimately I think he's a great fit and offers a lot of potential and a good floor through his run defense and his uh, motor as a pass rusher, but uh, we'll see if he could develop enough uh, as a, as a pass rusher technically to fulfill the potential that comes with his, his athleticism.
0: Yeah, it looked like he, he was a bit of a late bloomer, and you were mentioning that he didn't have, necessarily have the same numbers of, of Hutchinson and Thibodeau. I think the one thing to remember, and it's not the end-all-be-all, because a lot of that is just, you know, did you win your one-on-one rep, but he was playing on an awful Florida State defense and an awful Florida State team, and he still put up 12 sacks and 71 tackles. I mean, he was a guy that offenses really – he was the only guy in Florida State that offenses had to pay attention to, uh, and he still dominated. And he dominated the ACC this year. Um, and he made Ike McWanu look silly at times when he played him. Um, so I think that was, you know, obviously tremendous value for the Jets. I think he's a great scheme fit. Um, you know, is he going to be Miles Garrett or Nick Bosa? Maybe not, but I think this is a, a very good football player that the Jets added. And the, the one comparison that I that I when I was watching the draft that I heard that I really liked for him, not necessarily as a as a exactly as a player, but it was like a Matt Judon, just a guy who just never stops coming, uh, a, a pro's pro a guy who can be in the league a long time and a guy who can can get you double digit sacks. Um, So I'm, I'm really excited about, about Jermaine Johnson. The other thing that that has me hyped up about him is that other NFL defensive ends really like his game. Like Chandler Jones really likes watching Jermaine Johnson. Uh, And that gives me uh, optimism because clearly they know more than I do um, when it comes to, you know, defensive end technique. Um, But there were obviously some cons that come with Jermaine Johnson's game, but the fact that they got him at 26, I mean, he was by far and away the best player available. Uh, on everybody's boards uh i think when you think about this jets defense i mean obviously it was terrible last year but the fact that they're going to be bringing back carl loss and they added dj Reed and free agency bringing in jermaine johnson and sauce gardner presumably some of the other guys will get better uh second year in the system i think this defense can take a huge leap under robert sala and they have two picks tonight i guess this comes out tomorrow morning uh, they have two picks tonight and one of them at least at least one of them could add to it again. Let's take a look, Michael, at days at day two and rounds two and three. The Jets pick in sixth, uh, five teams ahead of them. I think the, the obvious guy in everybody's mind uh, is Nicobe Dean. I mean, that's the guy that when you watch him, it's, it's hard to take your eyes off of him. He was arguably the best player on that Georgia defense. That doesn't mean he's necessarily going to be the best pro, but when you watch him, he was flying around the football, and you can see how he could be a good fit in this defense, even if he's a little undersized, you know, uh knock on wood. He makes it a 38. I don't know if he, if he will, I don't know if a team trades up, maybe the jets will have to trade up, but when you do look at the teams ahead of the jets and the needs that they have, it's possible he could fall. And look, there are still plenty of good players available like Andrew Booth, like, uh, you know, Malik Willis is still available. Maybe there's a run on quarterbacks. So before we talk about potential options for the jets, what do you think about the teams picking ahead of the jets? Um, what they might be targeting some of the players that might be going um, and whether or not you think if the Jets want a guy like a Nicobe Dean, do you think they're going to have to trade up?
1: Yeah, it's going to be inter- interesting to see how that top of the second round plays out. There has been some movement there. The Bucks are now picking first uh, after making swap the Lions. So um, it's going to be interesting to see. But looking at some of the needs that ESPN has laid out for these top five teams ahead of the Jets, Um, only one of them has linebacker listed, or at least um, off-ball inside linebacker, Uh, and that's the Vikings, and they have it as their fifth need. So I think they're, at least based on that, definitely seems like there is a decent chance that he could get there. I I would be ecstatic if Dean fell there. Like, throughout this whole process, I haven't really said it um, in terms of an article or anything or a tweet, but uh, I have really thought Dean is, like, I don't see why he's not in consideration for the 10th pick. That's just me personally. I mean, I understand why he falls, but I just size, injury issues. Right. I mean, again, look, I definitely understand. No one thought Johnson was going to fall to 2026. So uh, that's just me personally. Like, I see too much production, too much athleticism, um, and just too much, too great of instincts on tape for him to. I I think he's a top 10 type player. Um, So, if we can get him, or if the Jets can get him, I'm not on the Jets. I'm not going to use the oh, Wii. Come on, come on. we um, can use
0: the Wii. We spent uh, so much time talking about this team.
1: All right, if it comes out now, and then it's okay. Um, but, yeah, if – all right, I'll use it right here. If we can get him with the 38th pick, I would uh, – I posted a tweet. I'd pass out, meet, pass out immediately. It'd, it'd be too much to handle. Too good to be true.
0: Yeah, I, I mean <laughs> – especially after the all that the jets got in the first round, if they aren't and look, do, do you think it's possible that they could explore trade up? I mean, it is only a few picks. They, they might not even have to give up the third. Maybe they can move one of their force, the Chris Herndon deal, move up a few picks and go get Dean. If they really have them, you know, that much higher above other players on their board. Do you think that is still possible?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm looking at the trade chart right now, try to see what it would cost. So let's say they want to switch to the bucks, go up five spots. that first pick um that's 60 points that's about that's actually the exact value of their number 117 pick in the fourth round so so what do they give yes yeah yeah, so i guess i'll ask you so is that something you'd be willing to do right now would you make that trade to get to 33 giving up uh the fourth rounder 117
0: so much of it just depends on your board and there are still a lot of good lineback i think the i don't think they will because there are a lot of good linebackers in this class and a lot of those good smaller linebackers that I think they, they might be confident that they can develop. I mean, they didn't prioritize linebacker at all. The last, last off season, uh, or this off season. maybe we should learn from the sauce gardener that that's not necessarily a sign of things to come, but given that Sala and Ulbricht are linebacker coaches, I think they're, they're confident that they could take a guy like Chad Moomar or Troy Anderson or Christian Harris uh, and coach them up. Um, but at the same time, if you see Nicobe Dean as your version of Fred Warner, if he's far and away above everybody else on your board, hell yeah, give a fourth-round pick. They traded Chris Herndon for it. I mean, yeah, move up and go and get your guy. I don't think they will. Uh, I think Chris Herndon
1: a- for Nicobe Dean? That pretty damn good trade, like if a good you deal. Ask.
0: <laughs> Yeah. And look, this happened a few years ago when, when Salah was in Jacksonville with Miles Jack, another guy who – uh, had you know had high praise, surprisingly fell. I, I don't. I wouldn't say Dean is a surprise at this point. A lot of people had him going into the first, early second, um, but surprisingly fell. Had some injury issues, and Jacksonville took him, and he had a good career. I mean, you know, under Robert Sala. So I think it's possible that Nakobe Dean falls. I think you're cheering for a little bit of a run on quarterbacks. I don't know if we're going to get that. I, I think we will get Malik Willis taken um, before the Jets pick. I think it's likely somebody might trade up and and, and try to get him. Um, but I, you know, if, if he's far and away, you know, if he's like the the 20, 20th player in your draft board and everybody else is, you know, 35 and behind, then go ahead and move up and get him, you know, 30, that makes it 30 and behind, go up and get him. Um, but if they don't get Nikoby Dean, if he's not available, Michael, who are some of the other names uh, to keep an eye out for? Because I, I feel like the board fell fairly well. There are a few guys right at the end there that you're hoping might hang on, like the Devon Lloyds, or the Lewis Scenes, or the the Daxton Hills. Um, but outside of that, there's still quite a few good players, and these guys are going to be available at 38. So let's say Nicobe Dean goes. Let's let's put down the, the pipe. Let's say he he gets taken. You know, we can't be we can't complain too much based off day one. Who would be your number one target and some of the other guys you would consider?
1: I'm a big fan of Travis Jones, the defensive tackle from UConn. Um, I think he checks a lot of boxes for them in terms of, you know, one two eye tech run stopper, but also pass rushing potential, one gapping ability, athleticism, team captain, all that stuff. Um, I don't think they've drafted a team captain yet, so they're kind of overdue.
0: Oh, yeah. How did that. that? How did they line up with the whole uh relative athletic score? And
1: did yeah, they... Was, they definitely kind of bucked the trends a little bit because well, Gardner was hard because he didn't actually have an RAS. I think he would have ranked really high based yeah. on his 40 time and size, so I guess we can consider him well, well, what, probably not why why an RAS. Didn't uh, test he him. only did the 40, he didn't do yeah. anything else, so um but he probably would have scored highly so I guess he lines up um Wilson was the interesting one though because his RAS actually wasn't that great it was only like 7.8 because he didn't do good um you know he's a little bit smaller he didn't do great in the 20 yard shuttle um like I said vertical jump wasn't amazing um Forty times great. So,
0: so strange when you watch him. because um, you would but yeah, like think it doesn't those...
1: totally line up, but I guess it's just the coordination, the timing, and the, the skill, the maximization of what he does have. Um, so yeah, that was a little bit he was the he's the lowest RES player they drafted in the first three rounds so far. Um, Jared Douglas's first three drafts. So that that was another reason I wasn't expecting it too much, that because his athleticism is a little bit lower. Than what they've targeted in early picks so far, but uh, but they did go with him. So uh Johnson definitely has the athleticism. Uh so he'd match that. Uh, but they haven't drafted a captain yet, so I could see them taking a couple of those next couple of days. Um, but yeah, Travis Jones. Uh, I think defensive tackle is definitely a position to look at Perry and Winfrey, Federian Mathis, Logan Hall, uh safety. I think there are three positions really linebacker safety. D-tackle are the top needs right now because uh, you look at this deal, uh, the edge position, you know, filled out now, corners looking great. Um, they could still use that, you know, one technique, run-stopping D-tackle. De- uh, Linebacker, I think you could upgrade that spot next to Mosley and, you know, long-term potential Mosley replacement. Uh, and then safety, you saw a spot next to Whitehead. Obviously, Joiner can hold it down for a year, but you know, still need a long-term solution and i think you could upgrade over joiner too so um those three spots i think are the primary holes uh to look at but it's it's just really crazy to have you know it feels like the jets offense is filled out for the most part obviously they could target a running back or you know more receivers depth and everything but uh offensive needs are there isn't too much that's dire on offense and it it, that's definitely
0: never been a thing in, in my time as a Jets fan yeah the one thing to keep in mind is they're not going to necessarily draft for needs uh we, right, we've learned right. that uh, like you said I would say like linebacker safety defensive tackle those are the things to keep an eye out for but I would be surprised if you saw an offensive lineman a Bernard Raymond or even a Cameron Jurgen at center I know he's not oh yeah Tyler, yeah Tyler Linderbaum I, I don't but... know I
1: don't know if they'll do that well it actually does change things now because I definitely thought uh 69 was a good spot for a for a tackle or a depth o-lineman now that they don't have that maybe they do go for it up here uh that's definitely something to keep on the radar and o-lineman
0: raymond makes a lot of sense i think he checks a lot of douglas boxes and same with Jurgen. um petite fryer somebody like that um uh, you mentioned running back i don't see them doing it on I don't see him doing it round two. I was going to say, I don't see him doing it day two. Probably not. I think it's more of a day three pick. Um, But I definitely think they will take another running back. I think they're going to adopt the San Francisco model of take a day three running back pretty much every year and you'll normally hit. You know, you'll always have a pretty solid running back stable uh, because running backs always get injured and you just want to have guys you can plug in there. So it's possible they could go for a guy like Brees Hall, 38 at running back. I really, really, really doubt it just because of the positional value. But if they have a super high grade on him, hell, I mean, pair him with Michael Carter, run the football, you know? Um, but I think that that's one of those guys that you're cheering. Like when you look at, okay, the Bucs, Vikings, Titans, Giants, and Texans, all teams in front of the Jets. I imagine there's going to be a few trade-ups too, at least one. You're hoping for Malik Willis to go. Maybe you're hoping for Brees Hall to go and Andrew Booth. There's three right there. And then you just need two non-Dean picks for him to make it. But if Dean is gone, I would say that the number one guy, I would want would probably be Jaquan Brisker. I think Brisker would be the guy. Um, but I mean, look, I mean, I, I, I could go either way. After day one, I trust I trust whatever Joe Douglas wants to do. If you listen to his press conference, he clearly seems pretty excited about uh, some of the options they could go with. here. Petrie had a really good senior bowl safety at a Baylor. Um, again, the offensive line, you, you raised the defensive tackle spot. I mean, it wouldn't be the sexiest pick, but look, if you believe in a guy like Travis Jones or a guy like Perry and Winfrey, who won the senior bowl MVP, um you know, I could totally see that as well. Um, so I guess, Michael, I guess that'll do it. Unless you have any other thoughts here. But oh, I guess the the other thing is they could take a guy like uh, they could go for another edge rusher, like a guy like a Jabba, who would have been a first round pick if he didn't blow out his Achilles. I don't think the Jets are in the, the position to take that, but I feel like I should maybe throw that in there. Um, but yeah, I think I think most likely, if I had to make my predictions for thirty eight, I still want to say Nickobi Dean. Uh, if I had to make a prediction for 38, I'll go I'll go. Uh, uh, Jaquan Brisker. I'll go Jaquan Brisker. I was stuck there between maybe Raymond or hoping that N'Koei Dean would make it, but I'll say Brisker makes it. I'm not going to bother trying to predict the third round, because especially since it's, it's like 30 spots back now, pick 101. Who knows who will be available then? Uh, but, Michael, your last predictions for who they take at 38?
1: Uh, I mean, I was just thinking, and you let me know what you think of this. Could they trade down maybe? from this pick try to get back into the early third if you know yeah
0: that's dean someone isn't there i'm glad you brought that up because i would have been remiss if we didn't bring that up absolutely because i think the meat of this draft you know you're gonna have to this is you know days two and day three are where you make or break it as a as a front office uh and i think the meat of this draft is on day two um maybe not the sexiest names but there are gonna be some damn good football players here and i think maybe the jets would want a few more you know chances um, swings at here. And we've seen Douglas trade down from the top of the second before, uh, I would imagine that maybe I mean, I think it would have been more likely if they still had 35. I was expecting them to maybe trade down from, from 38, if they still had 35, because a lot of times teams don't necessarily, not that they don't love it, but that teams, you know, if they have two picks around the same area, they're, they're more willing to, to trade down and try to target uh, a different spot of the draft. But now that they only have one, maybe it's less likely, but at the same time, maybe they try to recoup some picks, get some more lottery tickets. They already got their big swings out of the way on day one. Now they can go to day two and just take multiple swings. But if a guy, I think they'll wait until they're on the board because uh, if a guy like N'Kobe Dean is on the board, I think they run that pick to the podium uh, in my eyes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I could see a trade down. Is that is that your prediction? Your official prediction for tomorrow is a trade down?
1: I, I actually am feeling it. I think Dean will be off before then, and they'll trade down. Uh, and an in, interesting thing here, I just added up the points from the Jermaine Johnson trade um, in terms of the, the Jimmy Johnson trade chart that sometimes is used to calculate the value of draft picks. Um, and usually when teams trade up, the, the winner of the trade is by far the team that moves down in terms of the cumulative value of the picks. Uh, but the Jets didn't lose this one by that much. Only 24 points uh, of trade value were lost, which is not much at all. It's about the value of the 164th pick, which is, uh, you know, the mid-fifth round. So they basically gave up a, the value of a mid-fifth round pick to make this happen. Um, so if they can trade down um, with the second-round pick and at least – get the value of you know a mid fifth rounder just net that value then they could come out on the positive end of those two trades and get Jermaine Johnson moving up they could be in a really good position if they could get that done man
0: did that draft really just happen Michael I think so I think did it that did. really just happened could that have gone any better outside of maybe Hutchinson fall I've even I don't think that could have gone any better if I, if you had tweeted out that mock draft on Jets X, if you'd written that as an article, my ideal Jets draft, people would have laughed in your face. Yes. <laughs> if you said that the Jets are going to get goes, no way they go corner at four. No way Garrett Wilson last till 10. No way in hell Jermaine Johnson lasts until 26. And Joe Douglas won't move back up to get, I mean, you have to love what the Jets did here again. Yeah. I,
1: I mean, I mean, just thinking back, not to cut you wrong, but uh, I mean, go ahead. just thinking back like the, the thing about the Gardner pick always was, you know, we love the pick, love the player, but it's like, you know, now there's that compromise of, you know, do you take receiver at ten? Now you don't get your edge. Do you take edge at ten? Now you don't get your receiver. They went out got Gardner, and got both of those other positions that we thought they'd be bypassing by taking him, uh, and the guy they got. It's not like it was, then no. You know, discredit to these guys. It was no like Maffei or Epichetti. Like they got Jermaine Johnson, who was getting number four talk and was, you know, even if that was a little uh, optimistic, was widely projected to go
0: top 10. Many respected people had him as their best edge.
1: Right. Or at so second best edge. It was crazy. We never really, we always figured the consequence of taking sauce was, all
0: right, you got to sacrifice receiver or edge, but they didn't have to do that. And uh, it's crazy. I always feel like I have to put the qualifier of like, you know, we need to see these guys in the field. It's too early to judge. Cause I guarantee you, I look at the YouTube comments, we'll get those. Um, but man, if you don't, I guess this podcast will come out tomorrow morning, but for us, if you're not going to, to bed tonight, uh, happy as a clam about this draft i mean i'm over the moon about this i was really nervous this morning i'd be honest i'd been i had put it off a little bit i was like all right it's the draft whatever we've been talking about it for so long i was sick of it just ready for it to get here i woke up this morning i was like oh my god oh my god it's here um and i don't think it could have gone too much better at least on paper we'll see again here's that qualifier again but Man, I'm I'm over the moon, Michael. I'm I'm so excited. I know I know you need to get to bed. We have a lot more podcasting to do because this is going to come out. It'll be Friday morning by the time you guys are listening to this. Obviously, we'll be back um, uh, tomorrow. I guess it'll be Saturday morning with reviewing days two and day three, uh, and then we'll be back Sunday morning reviewing the the draft as a whole, and then we'll be back Monday with a mailbag of the entire draft. Uh, answering your guys's questions so a lot of cyj pods coming your way you can follow us at cyj pod on twitter michael at michael underscore Nania, myself at ben w blessington go to jets for the best place to go for jets content definitely gonna want to check that out for the next few days a lot of good uh draft content coming your way um but yeah everybody thank you for listening uh you have to be happy the direction the jets are heading in but two more days of the draft left this is where this is where General, general managers and, and scouting departments uh, make their money. So let's just hope for, uh, for as good. I don't think you're going to be able to top day one, but I just uh, continue the trend of day one for days two and day three. We'll be back tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Go Jets.